0: Welcome to the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person. This good news sermon was given in the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit OceanGrove.org to learn how we are fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship educational cultural and recreational programs at the jersey shore great is the lord and greatly is he to be praised so tonight father we just lift our hearts and our minds to you lord god and we ask that you would receive our praise as an offering tonight Father, let us minister to you tonight in bringing to you an offering of ourselves. Father, there's many needs that have walked in here tonight and we thank you, God, that you know each one of them. And that, God, it is just your way. It's just your nature. It's who you are to want to touch hearts in this place tonight. So Father, I thank you that that that's your desire, but God, I just ask that as we lift our offering of praise to you, God, that it's through our giving to you that we ourselves will receive back, Lord God. Father, I I just ask for each soul that's here tonight, whatever the need is, Father, if there's somebody that walked in here tonight that doesn't know you, and is not even sure why they came here. Father, I pray that your spirit would just go forth and minister to those hearts right now. And Lord, for those that do know why they came because they just need more of you. That the circumstances and situations that surround them are beyond their ability. And they're here to say, God, I need you. That, Lord, that, that your hand would, would be extended to them, Lord God, as well. And, Lord, even for the one that just comes because they didn't have anything better to do, and, ah, I'll go to I'll, I'll go to church tonight. For the one that maybe is not even willing to admit what their need is, God, we just trust them to you, and we ask that you would intervene. that God, you would pour out your love in this place tonight. Father, I pray that not one person would leave this place tonight not knowing that they're loved. I just pray, Holy Spirit, move through this place. Have your way here. We invite you. Have your way here. We just offer our praise to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. So this morning I woke up a little, a little weary. This morning, you know, one of
1: those, one of those mornings, one of those days, and I felt God calling me into into Scripture, and um, I was one Corinthians, um, something one Corinthians, and I and I put that in my mind, and then
0: my my phone just like. You know, I had like a glitch and I went to something else,
1: and I was like, ooh, that that was good, that was good. I found what I needed to. (laughs) I
0: found what I needed to. That's where God wanted me. And
1: and I read this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus
0: Christ. Thank you, Lord. Is he all to you tonight? Amen, amen. Well, I wanna welcome you to praise in the evening here at the great auditorium. Can I ask, is there anybody that's here for the first time, never been in this auditorium before, can you raise your hand for me? Right here in the front row, okay, all right. I just wanna ask some of the rest of you that are around her, make sure that she knows she's welcome and that we're glad that she's here tonight, all right? But also, take a moment and just reach your neighbors. If there's somebody next to you, around you, behind you, in front of you, you don't know, Even if you got to cross an aisle, feel free to do it. Take a moment. All right, great. Okay, we got everybody almost back in their seats. Excellent. Hey, well, we want to thank you for being here tonight. And I just want to take a couple of moments to just share with you some of the activities that are going on this week. There's always so much uh, that happens here in Ocean Grove that, of course, we have to create a booklet for you to know what goes on from... um, Memorial Day to Labor Day, so, but there's so much here, there's so much here, and, and you know what, you can't get to everything, I know I can't get to everything. This week I was blessed to at least be able to get to Saturday Bible Hour, where our brother Christian Andrews, who's here with us tonight, was speaking all week long, but our brother has been sharing on the virtues this week, and we'll, we'll, we'll bring it to a close tonight, so, um, but there's something for everyone, and you know what, don't stress trying to get to everything wait on God ask God should I go there today shouldn't I go there today you know sometimes I go somewhere and I sit on a bench instead because somebody God brings somebody along that just needs to talk and I don't get in to hear the message or I don't get into the concert you know I'm just asking this summer just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do and where he wants you to go I'm going to ask the ushers. Yep, they're getting up. That's good. See, I was probably running a little long, so. But we're thankful for our ushers. They're going to come forward and accept their offering tonight. And I just, I'm just looking forward to God just doing special, something special in people's lives here this summer. Whether you're here for a day, a week, or the whole summer, that, that when the end of the summer comes, you can say, I met God in Ocean Grove. And then my prayer is that you would take that back to your home church, to wherever you come from, um, that you wouldn't just keep it to yourself. Let's pray for this offering. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this beautiful setting tonight, Lord God. We thank you, God, that we're in a country where we can freely worship you and lift up the name of Jesus. Father, we just ask now for this offering. We ask, God, that you would use it for the advancement of your kingdom here on earth. That, Lord God, that we would just continue to be good stewards of that which you've entrusted to us. And we just ask your blessing on it now in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: It's good to say hallelujah, isn't it? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you try to use your imagination just for a moment? Earlier today... You heard that Jesus was coming into town. uh, That he was someone who knew God and knew life. And you decided to go so that you could listen to him later in the afternoon. It's not the 21st century. It's the first century. It's easier to imagine that when you're in Ocean Grove, isn't it? You make your way with a crowd to go to the place where he is teaching. There's something deep down inside of you that knows because you've heard And you've seen that He has the words of life like no one else ever does. And that's why you're there in that crowd. There's a part of your heart that has drawn you to Him because something deep inside of you says, He has the thing which I need, which we all need. Some of you have experienced His words and come to life. Others of you maybe not. But use your imagination. There we all are gathered together. As the crowds have come to hear Him speak, When one person breaks the silence and asks a question, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a question that comes to Jesus from an expert in the scriptures. Uh, He's called a lawyer in the New Testament. This is in Luke 10, this story. But he's raised a question which most of us whether we know it or not, have also raised in our own hearts, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Not just life after I die. In Greek, zoe, that's the word that this man used for life, means the quality of existence that is alive and true and vital and real, like we know deep down inside we were always made for. Have you ever longed for the kind of life that always seems to stay one step ahead of you? Are you alive? Okay, thank you. Haven't you ever thought there ought to be more? Have you? Yeah. This man verbalized that question that we've all been wondering about. Now, Jesus looks at him. We all look at Jesus to see how will he answer this question. It's a great question. And Jesus answers with a question. He says to him, what do you read in the Scriptures? He puts the question back on him. Now, he stands up straight. We all turn our eyes to this expert, and he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the man answers to Jesus. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, please understand this. Here, he has asked Jesus Where do I find the life that I've always wanted? Jesus puts it back on him. What does the scripture tell you? And his response essentially is love. That's where life is. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Those of us who have listened long to Jesus will know that in another time, Jesus put these two together as if they're one commandment. Everything comes down to love. That's the most important thing. If you want real life, love is the answer. Do you know that the world right now needs an answer more than maybe ever before? And here's a one-word answer for where life is, love. Jesus looks back at this man, and now I'm sure of it, something in your heart when you hear the simplicity of this answer wakes up, because I know you, you need more love, don't you? You need to receive more love and you need to give more, I know it. And I don't need to know anything else about you that, but that you're a person who walked in here tonight. And I'm sure it's true that you need, listen to this, you need to give more love in your life. There are people all around you who are needy, and when you finally take your eyes off yourself, there's a part of you that knows you were made to give love away. And that's because God made you like that. There's also a part of you that knows desperately you need to receive more love. And so when this man gives the answer, you're happy to hear it. And then Jesus tells him, yes, you're right. Do this and you will live. Love and you will live. Now, in this crowd that's been gathered to listen to Jesus, there's one apostle, and his name is Peter, and he's also there. And if you've been in Bible hour in this week behind us, or even just yesterday, you know that Peter has been our teacher together for something very specific. We've been trying to learn from him how to have a faith which is both effective and fruitful. A faith that's effective is a faith that works. It's a knowledge of God. It's an understanding of His grace. It's an acceptance of the new life that comes in Christ that doesn't just remain an idea, but actually does something to us. And Peter has been our teacher to show us how to have a faith that actually does something in our own lives. And not only for us, but our faith is also meant to be fruitful in the world around us. And what the world needs simply is men and women who've come to know Jesus and whose faith makes a difference out there in the world. Peter was there that day when Jesus received that question from the lawyer and responded as he did with love. I'm sure Peter was taking mental notes so that years later, after his master had died and then rose again, and Peter took the time to write letters to address communities of people like us who want to know how to have faith, he would write in very clear terms what has been guiding us and will guide us now this evening. Guidance for how to have a faith that truly works. Uh, This is how Peter addressed the issue of faith which works in 2 Peter, the second letter he wrote. Uh, First of all, after describing the great gift of faith, he made this clear statement. God, in his divine power, has given us everything needed for life and godliness. That is, we should never believe the lie that we don't have what it takes to have a faith which actually makes a difference in the world. God's already given us everything. But then acknowledging and knowing deep inside how the world can grind a person down. Amen? Amen. Peter, he wrote this, you must make every effort to support your faith. This is verse 5 in 2 Peter chapter 1. You must make every effort to support your faith. Please understand, not you must make every effort so that God will love you. No, no, no. Peter could never say that. He knew that God loved us despite the failure of every good effort. But rather, you should make every effort to support your faith. And then Peter lists seven virtues, one which depends upon the next. He starts with Goodness. And that's a virtue that you should work at. Now, how will you know what to do that is good? That's the second virtue, knowledge. You must support your goodness with knowledge. How will you do the right thing once you know the right thing? Self-control is the next virtue, which supports knowledge, which comes from goodness, and so on. Endurance, he goes on and on. Godliness, this morning we talked about the virtue of mutual affection friendship, which supports these other virtues. And now we come to the last virtue in the list of seven. And it's the one that is beneath all the others like a foundation is beneath a home. And it is the virtue which in a word at the end of verse seven is love. And this is the Greek word agape. And it's the word that the lawyer used to describe what is required of us to have life. It is to love God and to love others. And it's the word that Jesus said, yeah, you've answered correctly. Now, come back to that scene there as we're observing this exchange between teacher and expert in the law. After hearing from Jesus that he gave the right answer, the man shuffles a little bit, and we're now all looking at him, and he knows it, and he He responds to what Jesus says with his own subsequent question. He says, after hearing that, he's supposed to love God and neighbor. He says, who really is my neighbor? And we think to ourselves, what a nudge. (laughs) The reason he said that is right away when he heard that he was responsible for love, he wanted to know, who don't I have to love? Have you ever ever found it hard to love a neighbor? Uh, Sometimes it's easy to love strangers, people that you meet for one week in Ocean Grove where it's all dreamy, right? But, But then you go back to where life unfolds day after day with the people who are right there beside you one day after another. And would you admit here that sometimes it's hard to love those who are closest to us? This man said, who really is my neighbor? And instead of answering him with a direct Response by giving him a sort of definition of neighbor. Jesus does what every excellent teacher does, is he responds by painting a picture for him. And now we're going to look at that together, but I want you to be clear about why we're looking. The picture which Jesus paints is a picture of what love does. He shows what love looks like. And I I can't say this emphatically enough. What the world needs now is love. What the world needs is men and women who believe in Jesus and who trust him to go out into the world and love. Not in word, no, no no more words, but in action and in deed, in truth, the world needs love. And now all of us are gathered as Jesus is going to unfold this picture of what love looks like. And so open your minds and your hearts to see what love looks like. And then these two things will happen. The world will have more of what it needs as you support the gift of faith with love. The world will have that and it needs it, but you also will have what you need, which is for your faith to be effective. Amen. And so here's the story. And again, this is in Luke 10. Some of you will have heard this story many times. Try your best to pretend you're hearing it for the first time. The Holy Spirit wants you to hear it again and anew so that God can give you something you've never received before. Here's how Jesus responds. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, the setting... Of Jesus story is a notorious road that every one of us knows about because we know that the road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho is a long and dangerous and difficult way to go it's 18 miles long the the elevation change is 3200 feet and it is a favorite haunt of bandits and robbers because if you have to walk From Jerusalem to Jericho, you are guaranteed to meet trouble. It is going to be a difficult path to walk. And in Jesus' story, we meet a character who's walking that road. Too bad for him. And of course, he falls into the hands of bandits who beat him up, and they strip him down, they rob him, and they leave him for dead. Listen, he's half dead when the story opens. Unless he gets help, he will be completely dead before the story finishes. And now, hold on for a moment, now, for Jesus... The road is a favorite metaphor for life. Don't you know that life can be like a difficult road? I know that about lots of you. I know some of you personally. I've been walking on some of the hardest miles of road with you. When parents have to be at the funeral of their daughter When young people have to pull together the pieces of their family as it's exploded because dad went off and did what he shouldn't have. When mental illness wreaks havoc and, and, and adult children are off on paths that are dark and treacherous and now mom and dad have to try to figure out how are we gonna manage? Don't you know Yourself, that life can be like that road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Yeah, listen, maybe you've never shared it with anybody, but in this moment, would you let your own eyes see the Jericho, that, the, the, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that you yourself have had to wander down? The world has scoundrels in it who come onto the road that we have to walk on and we can't do anything about it. They overwhelm and they ruin us. This is the story that Jesus begins to tell to show us what love looks like. And by the way, it wouldn't be a bad thing for you to imagine yourself there right now in whatever way you're beat up. Mental illness, a difficult marriage. Jesus introduces two characters into the story now as this poor man is on the road. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest is a professional religious person. This is someone who's coming from Jerusalem probably because he had been there in their great auditorium doing Bible hour or whatever. It was someone who was there serving God as best he could and as he came along the road, the priest, whose responsibility was to do his best to bring uh, the people to God, saw this unfortunate fellow and he went by on the other side. If we're listening to Jesus' story, we know That there was some hope when the priest first appeared on the scene because priests are supposed to be helpful. But the hope led to nothing and the man passed by. Here's a second character. So, likewise, was a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. The Levite, also a professional religious man, he's from the tribe from which the priests descended. His people would have been the ones who carried the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another. That was the presence of God. Unlike the priest, the Levite brought the God uh, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, his own presence to the people. But here he comes again, a promising prospect. Maybe something good will come from this religious man. But instead of something good coming, he also goes by on the other side. I don't want to dwell on this, but have you ever been disappointed by a church church? Have you ever been disappointed by Christian men and women who are supposed to be the ones who did something good but didn't? Before we get to down and out on them, have you ever been that person? Jesus' story is a story of how difficult and brutal and overwhelming life can be and how sometimes disappointments are added to the brutality of it all. And here, now listen... Here, Jesus is ready to show us what love looks like because there's a third person who's coming along the road. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And he, when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. This third character, unlike the first two, shows us exactly what love looks like. He shows us what agape is. He shows us how a person who first of all loves God and then second of all turns to love his neighbor, how that person responds on the road of life when there is an unfortunate individual who's been broken and beaten and ruined. This, please understand, this is not meant to be something sentimental that makes us feel good. We are going to be men and women whose faith is effective and fruitful. This is for us a picture of what love looks like and it should show us how we ourselves should be on the road of life if we are going to love as Jesus says we are meant to love. If we're going to support our faith with this virtue of love. I notice five things about the way that love responds which will be for us if we're willing to let them be. The indicators of what we're responsible for when it comes to love. Let's take our time here. First, the first thing that I see about the Samaritan on the road is that love takes responsibility. I want you to listen now. Both the priest and the Levite, strictly speaking, were correct when they saw the man lying there and told themselves, it's not my responsibility. In some measure, they were able to say, it's too bad for him, but I can't take responsibility for this, and I don't have to. And so they walked by. But what the Samaritan does, which is just the opposite, is instead of keeping his distance and resting in the fact that, well, it's not really my problem, he chooses to take responsibility for a mess that, strictly speaking, is not his to take responsibility for. And this is the first thing which love does. And if you and I will begin to work at the virtue of love which supports our faith, we also will, first of all, have to choose to take responsibility for messes that, strictly speaking, are not ours. We might even say, well, that's someone else's to deal with. Do you know that in your life right now, there are messes that other people have that you are allowed to say, well, that's not really my responsibility. (laughs) Do you not talk like that when you're trying to weasel out of something? I do. But what love does, is it lets someone else's problem become its problem. It chooses not to turn the other direction when there's a mess, but instead to go toward it. Now listen, there are limitations that you have, right? You can only bear so much. There may be some needy people in your life that are like a bottomless pit and no matter how much you pour into them, you can never help. But on the other hand, I'm absolutely certain that right now there's someone who's got a problem and you have to decide, am I going to walk by on the other side or am I going to go toward the problem? And love chooses to take responsibility and every community of people, every church... Every organization, like the Ocean Grove organization, is going to have to ask Are we going to be people who say someone else's problem, or are we going to love and take responsibility in the ways that we can? And that's the first thing that we see in this story. Do you see it too? Here's the second thing that I see it is that love gets its hands dirty. Did you hear what the Samaritan did? The Samaritan got out wine and oil and massaged the wounds of the broken and battered person. And that means the Samaritan hands got dirty and gross. And sometimes love will mean getting your hands dirty in someone else's issues. Uh, Sometimes the things that break people and beat them up on the side of the road are the things that you might be inclined to keep your distance from, right? Uh, That marriage is, is really a mess now and I don't wanna get involved because it's too much. There was infidelity there. It's now been revealed and I've always had problems and so I'm going to just stay my... Uh, that's, I don't want to be around that. There's an addiction that that person's dealing with and if I have to go down there and be with them, that's going to be uncomfortable and uneasy for me. It's gonna, some of that mess is going to get on me. Yes, of course it is. But what love does is what the Samaritan does, which is not only go toward the mess, but get involved with hands in the wounds. And that's the second thing here. There's a third thing and this one... It, it, it's easy to miss, but it's profound. Love, this is the third thing that love does. Love trades places. Uh, if you choose to take responsibility and get your hands dirty, please listen to me now. Your life will become harder than it is right now. It will. If someone else has a problem, and you go to help them, you will have more problems than you did before you went to help them. But that's what love does. Here in the story, what the Samaritan does, the Samaritan has an animal, which is a great gift if you have to travel all the way along that road. But instead of staying on the animal, he gets off the animal and gives that place to the person who's been beat up and ruined. And now that means he'll have to walk the rest of the way, but he does that because that's what love does. Love comes to the person who's having a really hard time when you're doing relatively well, and then you lift that person up so now that it's harder for you but better for them. And that's what love does, it trades places. And to be mature, we have to see that. That's the third thing. There are two more. The fourth, it's very plain in this story, is that love costs you. It does, it costs you. In this case, the Samaritan gets to the inn and since this man has been robbed, he doesn't have any money to pay for it. And what does the Samaritan say? I'll pay for it. He takes out two denarii, that's a good deal of money. He gives it to the innkeeper. Is he gonna get that money back? Probably not. But the reason he does it anyway is because love will cost you something. If when we began thinking about love, you started to think of someone who maybe needs some love from you, here, it's not necessarily gonna get easier for you when you go to love them, it may cost you. In fact, love almost always does. And we see that in the story too. And then there's this fifth thing that the Samaritan teaches us. And it is that love commits. Love is in it for the long haul. The Samaritan doesn't just say, here's two denarii and then back to business. Instead, he tells the innkeeper, you take care of him. And when I return, because I am going to return, I'm committed to this man's well-being. Then I'll pay whatever else it costs. How much will it cost? He doesn't know yet. But what he knows is he's committed. Because what love does is it commits. It does all five of those things. And if we were there that day as Jesus taught, we ourselves would see that love takes responsibility. Love gets its hands dirty. Love trades places. Love costs. And love commits. Now, after Jesus unfolds this beautiful scene for everyone there and the lawyer... He then turns to that expert in the law and he asks him one more question. He says, now, which one of these was a neighbor? Now listen, most of the time this story is told. The end is, hey, go help people. And that's good, but it's not good enough. Jesus asked him who was a neighbor because what Jesus wanted is the man, listen now, To speculate about the identity of the figures in the story which Jesus just told. Jesus painted a picture and when he asked which one was the neighbor, he was asking this expert to try to get who have I put in this picture for you to look at. And and now it requires our attention to see that first of all, Jesus has actually painted the man who asked the question, who don't I have to love, right into his picture. And it it might not occur to us right away, but if we would attend to the way Luke tells the story, in verse 29, Luke tells us why this expert in the law asked the question in the first place. Listen carefully now. Luke tells us, but wanting to justify himself... He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That phrasing is critical. Wanting to justify himself. Do we have any folks in the auditorium tonight who know what the New Testament teaches about how a person is justified before God? I see a few nods, right? Does the Bible teach us that anyone has any hope of justifying himself or herself? No. In fact, the the scriptures teach us that as God's people Israel were gathered by His grace and He gave them the way of true life, they kept walking away from God and it ruined them. But God did not want to give up on them and so out of His grace and mercy, not only did He establish the covenant, but He maintained it against all odds by being gracious to God's people and coming in Jesus Christ because no one can ever justify himself or herself. And then Jesus taught it as well. You can never justify yourself. If you go and try to stand before God on your own merit, you will be helplessly plunged into utter darkness. Not some people, but all people. Nobody stands before God justified on her own merit merit. Nobody. Paul went on and on about this over and over. We're never justified by our own work. We're only justified by the unmerited glory and grace of God in Jesus Christ. So now Jesus sees a man who's asking a question because he thinks he can make himself right before God. And so Jesus paints a picture with the man right there in it. And now can you guess which character in the story is the lawyer who wants to justify himself? He's the man who's been beat up and left for dead on the road. Because if you try to justify yourself before God, you will be like a person who's been beat down, left for dead. And unless someone else comes to help you, to set you right before God, your future is completely certain. You will die alone on the road. So, isn't Jesus a great teacher? He's painted this man... With his desire to justify himself into his scene, he's the one who's been beaten up and left for dead. Jesus also knows that this man, who is an expert in the scriptures, will probably have learned to hope that priests and Levites are the ones who are going to save him. But religion can't save you either. And that's why, isn't that great? That's why Jesus paints the religious figures as the ones who don't actually deliver. Now, who is the one in this scene who comes to deliver? It's a Samaritan. And do you know that in Jesus, days, in Jesus' day, all of the Jewish folks would have learned to believe that if a Samaritan was in a story like this, he surely would have been the one who beat up and robbed the other man because no one believed that any good could come from Samaritans. You know, the Bible tells us that no one believed that anything good could come from the town where Jesus came from. And so not only did Jesus paint in this picture the lawyer, he painted himself himself. And Jesus is the good Samaritan. Listen, who loves us. He is the one who takes responsibility for a mess that is not his. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who saw the world beaten and broken because it had turned its back on God in disobedience. And instead of walking by the world on the other side of the road, which he would have been perfectly justified to do, he decided, no, to come right down onto that difficult road so that he could come right up to you and I with our sin, having sullied ourselves. And he does the second thing, which love does. Jesus gets his hands dirty with your sin. And he doesn't just pour out wine and oil to cleanse our wounds. He pours out his own blood. And the way he does that is by doing the third thing, which we see the Samaritan do in love, which is he trades places. And literally on the cross, Jesus took your place and my place. He didn't just give us the way to get to that village. He, he went up on the cross. He walked the, the path that sinners were meant to tread for us in our place so that we wouldn't have to do it and he did that love trades places and love costs Jesus what did it cost him well what did it cost God to love this world his only son in Christ God who was perfectly omnipotent and above all he came down and became born as a man found even in the form of a servant and it cost him his life He who was rich became poor so that we could become rich. He who was free, altogether free, became a slave so that we could have freedom. And Jesus did that. And then here's the last thing about Jesus. He's committed. He comes to uh, the one who alone uh, can can bear uh, our healing now. He comes and he says, whatever else it costs, I'll pay. And that is true. You yourself maybe have come to faith and you've sullied yourself once again. Jesus says, whatever it costs, I'll go on paying all the way because he who loved you is faithful even when you're faithless. And Jesus is the good Samaritan who's come onto the road to rescue every man and woman. He's done it. Before we can love, we have to just receive God's love for us. Uh, If you were here this morning... You heard me quote John in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. Now, before before I tell you what Jesus says you are responsible for, can I tell you that you yourself are also on that road. You are in the picture that Jesus painted, and Jesus has come to you to deliver you. He has. And all you are responsible for, this is it, is for letting him love you, for, for letting his love heal you for letting his love pick you up and carry you along and deliver you. That will not be quick and easy, healing never is, but it will be confident and sure because Jesus is trustworthy. Now once you've allowed him to do that, as surely Peter had, then you're ready to get to work at the seventh virtue which makes faith work, which is love. And you can hear the way that Jesus closes the story After asking the man who was the neighbor, he responds properly, the one who showed him mercy. And here's what Jesus says, and this is our command from our Lord Jesus who has rescued us. He says, go and do likewise. And what Jesus means there to teach is that if your faith is going to be effective and fruitful, then you must practice love. That's what you're responsible for. Not so that you can be rescued, you already have, but because by God's grace and mercy he's delivered you, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and your goodness with self-control and your self-control, excuse me, your goodness with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with perseverance or endurance, your endurance with godliness, your godliness with friendship, and your friendship with love. And I want to leave you with that. The good work that is before you by God's grace is to be a person who loves because you are a person who has been perfectly loved. And praise God for that. Uh, Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this place where we can, in our imaginations, go back to that place where Jesus taught about what love looks like. We thank you that that man, in his arrogance, asked that question which led to a beautiful story for him and for us. May we ourselves be delivered by what we've seen. And would you remind us that it was the compassion of the Samaritan The love for the needy, which shows us how you feel about every one of us, that you in your compassion would come to rescue and deliver us. Would you remind us not only in our minds, but also in our hearts right now in the quiet of this place, that we are beloved by you in a way that is beyond what we could ever ask or even imagine. Would you bring that to our minds now? God, would the knowledge of that love make us people who are first and foremost grateful, free and joyful, people who are at peace, no longer striving to make ourselves right before you as if we ever could, but rather simply glad that you have delivered us. And then, God, with that knowledge in our hearts and with the freedom that it brings, would you inspire each of us to be hard at work in what matters most, love. God, we know the world needs it. Uh, the road is difficult for every single one of us, but would you help us take our eyes off of ourselves and remembering your love for us, would you help us reflect that love to others who need it? And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Would you pour your spirit out on each of us and on this place, and would you continue to use Ocean Grove and, and, and the community of faithful here to be your light and your healing hands in this world. We pray for this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. 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 And let's continue worshiping together. Now I want to close with a good word, a blessing from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, power and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless and keep you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more about attending a worship service in the Great Auditorium, additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association and social media links, go to oceangrove.org.